For 42 years, I've been making small, regular deposits in this bank of experience, education, and training. And on January the 15th, the balance was sufficient so that I could make a very large withdrawal. Those words were spoken by Chelsea B. Sullenberger III. You remember Chelsea Sullenberger, don't you? Sully Sullenberger? He was the pilot who successfully ditched a commercial jet in the winter waters of the Hudson River on January the 15th. After taking off at about 3,000 feet, that jet ran smack into a flock of geese knocking out both engines, turning this jet into a glider. And there was not enough for the plane to bank and turn and then land back on the runway. And there was not enough to go to another town and land the plane at another runway. So Sully Sullenberger looked out the window of that cockpit, and he had to make, just in a matter of seconds, a split-second decisions, command decisions, in order to avert disaster. And that's when he saw the Hudson River, and that's when he said, that's where we're going. Sully said, I had to keep the, I had to keep the nose of the jet up, I had to keep the wings level, and I had to land that plane Uh, in the river at just the right speed, and I had to do all three of those things simultaneously. After the jet was successfully ditched, uh, the doors popped open, and he had all of the passengers, the crew, he had them abandon ship, and he walked up and down the aisle of that sinking jet twice to make sure that everybody was off the ship. Everybody. And only then did he leave the jet. Sully Sullenberger. Uh, What has impressed me about that story is just the way Sully has, his attitude is just, well, I had a job to do, and I did the job, and... People have come up to him and said, you know, thank you for not making me a widow. Thank you for saving my family. Thank you for saving my life. And his response is, you're welcome. Really? That's, I don't know if you saw the interview on 60 Minutes, but it's just, it's just been that, humili- it's just that humility that's been expressed. And, and, and yes, he's done public appearances, but his attitude is like, I, you know, I don't really need to be a part of that, but if that will help people process this incident, okay, you know, he was asked, well, I mean, okay, you know, did you pray when when all that was happening? Did you pray? Were you, you know, you just, did you pray? He said, no, I didn't uh, pray. Um, I was hoping that that department was being taken care of in the back of the plane. (laughs) That's what he said. That's a good answer, okay? Don't pray. Land the plane. I'll pray. (laughs) Keep your eyes open, Sully, (laughs) you know? 
mean, it's just that simple. You know, 42 years. You know, here's how I can describe it. It's the only way I know how to describe it. For 42 years, I've been making small regular deposits in the Bank of Experience, Education, and Training. And on January 15th, on January 15th, on, on, you know, this, this pilot who had previously logged 19,000 anonymous hours of flying became a national hero in a New York minute. January the 15th, I was able to write a check and there was enough in the bank to cover it. That's it. Uh, that's humility. Didn't, doesn't need to be more than he is. That's a servant right there. A servant. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about being a servant. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the New Testament book of Luke. It's on page 741 of your church Bibles. It's in the navy blue, uh, uh, navy blue Bibles in the pouch in front of you. You'll find Luke 17, verses 7 through 10 on page 741. And Jesus answers a question, what does a disciple look like? What's a, what does a follower of Christ look like in real life? What does it look like? And Jesus, through this parable in Luke chapter 17, tells us what a follower looks like. If you're going to be a follower of mine, you're going to be, you're going to be a servant. You're going to be a servant. And before I read this, look up here for just a minute. Let me tell you why we're doing this. You came in here in the foyer this morning and you're seeing weekend of service. You're seeing all of the banners that are out and uh, if you've been around here for very long, you know that on October the 17th and 18th, we are planning a major weekend of service where, God willing, uh, 900 from our church family will be mobilized to go to eight different project sites and to meet tangible physical needs with love over a Saturday and Sunday. You know if you've been around here for very long, that we are going to postpone Sunday morning services. If you come here at 9 o'clock or 1045 on Sunday morning, October the 18th, this, this room will be empty, all right? We will be out at these eight project sites meeting needs with love, meeting needs with love. And so mobilizing 900 people to make much of Jesus is a, well, I mean, that's a task, all right? And, and we just may hit a flock of geese getting that task accomplished. So what I need from every individual in this room, in this service, right here, right now, I need us to be informed about what Jesus is saying about what a servant is in Luke chapter 17. I need us to just, I need us to get it in our brains and our hearts and our souls right at the get-go. Because, see, sometimes we can enter these serving events thinking, okay, well, well, you know, well what is it? Well, you know, what is it in it for me? And Jesus says, I'm going to tell you what's in it for you right here. So pay attention and listen up. Jesus answers the question, what does it mean to be a servant? Are you ready? Luke chapter 17, verse 7 says, Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? 
Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. It's kind of in your face, isn't it? It's just kind of in your face. Jesus tells this parable about what it means to be a servant. He's telling this parable to an audience that would be very familiar with this scenario. And I think at least in the first few verses might even find the audience somewhat amused at what some of the things Jesus is talking about because Jesus talks about a landowner or an estate owner who uh, manages, who owns, who runs, who has in his possession a one-servant farm. It's a one-servant estate. It's just the landowner and it's the servant. And they're working out in the fields all day and doing the shepherding and doing the pastoring and doing the farming and it's a long, long day right out there in the, in the uh, sun. And then at 5 o'clock, does the landowner, does the master say to the servant, well, let's just, now that it's 5 o'clock, now that it's quitting time, you know, let's go pick out, you know, one of those lambs and let's just cook it up and then let's just have some bonding time, just you and me, and let's just catch up and let's just kind of be good. The, the audience would have heard that. <laughs> that's not the way it is. Why are they laughing? They're just kind of giggling. No, that, that would not happen. Why? Because everybody in Jesus' day knew that the servant's day does not end at 5 p.m., And it does not end there at the doorstep. Because at the end of the long day, then the servant's got to take off the rancher's clothes, the farmer's clothes, the shepherd's clothes, then put on the iron chef clothes and get ready to cook meal for the landowner, for the master, and got to whip up something there. And, And while the master waits, and then after the dinner is prepared, then that servant then takes off the iron chef clothes and put on the waiter's jacket and the, and the waiter's towel, and then serves the meal, and make sure that the cup is full, and make sure that the napkin's set, make sure that it's all ready. You get ready yourself, and serve me, and make sure that I have what I need to eat, and drink, and that's what's going on here. And then after all of that has taken place, then, then, then that servant's got to clear the clear the, the, the table and take the dishes and to the kitchen and, and, and the master doesn't say, oh, let's just do the dishes together, okay? No, 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 no. It's the master and this is the servant. And then after the kitchen is shut down and after master is taken into the living room to, to just relax for the rest of the evening, then and only then and perhaps then the servant can go back and just kind of get to eat at the counter. What happens? And then at the conclusion of all that, does the master say to the servant, oh, oh, I don't know what I'd do without you. Thank you so much. I just need, oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> the audience is laughing. Oh, they would never say that, ever. <laughs> Question number one, <laughs> the answer is no. Question number two, the answer is yes. Question number three, the answer is not on your life, No not going to happen. What's going on here? Volleyball. Jesus is playing volleyball. That's what he's doing. He is. 
You watch volleyball, right? You know what goes on in volleyball. There's the pass, and then there's the set. The pass, and then there's the set. And that's what verses 7, 8, and 9 are. The pass and the set. And Jesus is, you know, he's baiting his audience there, you see. That's what these parables do. They kind of suck you right in and then you get ambushed from behind. There's the pass and then there's the set. And what comes after that? The spike. Ooh, first service was a little more aggressive. They said, the kill. Yeah, (laughs) that's exactly what that is. The kill. And that's what Jesus did right there. Just as his audience got comfortable, the pass and the set, Jesus leaps up and goes for the kill in verse 10 when he says, so you also, when you have done everything you were told to do. See, the first three verses, Jesus kind of cozies up to the audience, making them think that they're the master, and this is how masters operate, and Jesus turns the table in verse 10 and says, you're not the master, you're the servant. And so you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. And the parable ends. And the point is clear, is it not? Is it not? If you want to be a servant, you want to be a disciple, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, here's what Jesus expects. Jesus expects his servants. Jesus wants me to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants it, for however long he wants it, with no strings attached. Isn't that what that says? Well, that is what that says. You want to be a follower of Jesus? He expects his servants to do what he wants, when he wants it, for however long he wants it, with no strings attached without obligating him in any way, shape, or form. That's got teeth to it. And my guess is there's at least one person in here who just is cringing right now. Maybe they were in the first service. (laughs) You're just cringing. You're just cringing right now. Oh, just this... Okay, this is, this is what we sing majesty about. You know, a God who orders people around like they're lackeys all day and works their fingers to the bone and keeps them up late at night and then that, that I mean, that, that, that's it, that's, that's God and, and you're the pastor of the church here. We waited a month to hear this. Yeah, all right, Sure. Yeah, well, I mean, what control issues do you have, Pastor, that you would take this, you know? And, you know, this is a, and, and some of you have come from church experiences where, where, you, where you have maybe uh, been in churches with pastors who are power-hungry and have control issues, and, 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 and for that, I am sorry. Um, but there's a cringe factor here. You know, why, 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 would, why, why, was, why does Jesus put it this way? Why does he say this? What's going on? Well, you have to understand that this verse is just not exist in and of itself. There's a context here. And Jesus is dealing with religious leaders and religious enemies who, who love to be first and who want to use 
their religious leadership in terms of power and, and, and in terms of publicity and they want to be noticed and they want to be seen and how easy it is even for people in ministry to succumb to, you know, ministry envy when they see some other religious leader or person get attention or, 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 or just get, you know, just, just, just get noticed and they're not being noticed and there's this, just this, this grab to want to be, you know, on the, on the front. Did you notice in the News Gazette today, my wife made the front page of the News Gazette on Salt and Light. It's a beautiful front picture of my wife serving, you know, we had Windsor Road Wednesday last week and, and, and the News Gazette happened to be there and she made the absolute front page. I got moved to page seven. And I know, I'm crying too. I mean, it's just <laughs> killing me. And, 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 and on page seven, you have, there's a beautiful shot of my backside. And what is that? What is that, you know? I mean, come on. See, it's so easy for us to want to kind of, you know, ministry, ministry envy here. Ministry envy. This, this, this desire to want to be first and to be noticed. To be noticed and and Jesus is just nipping that in the bud with this parable. I think that's one reason why he tells this. And, and there's a deeper reason. A deeper reason that really cuts to the heart of this issue. And the reason has to do with something that sounds like this. When we read, when, when 21st century Americans read parables and stories in the Bible about master-slave relationships. It is really hard not to read the, those stories, those parables. It, well, let's put it this way. It's easy to read it through the lens of the American experience of American slavery. Very easy. Very easy. And, and, and so, in, and, you know, we, we look at the sin, our national sin of race-based American slavery, and it's like, and so see, when we read out of the scriptures and we read about master-slave relationships, it's there's something in us, something in me that makes me want to cringe, you know. And what we need to understand is that when Jesus tells this parable, he's not telling it through the lens of, of the sin of American slavery. He's not. How could he? Rather, he is telling this parable through the lens of Deuteronomy chapter 15 and the Old Testament law regarding indentured servitude. You've got to get that if we're going to understand. We're going to crack these verses here and understand what it is we're being told. What does Deuteronomy 15? Well, it's up on the screen or you can turn to Deuteronomy 15. Deuteronomy 15, 12 says, If a fellow Hebrew, a man or a woman, sells himself to you and serves you six years. Now, stop there. Why would, why would a fellow Hebrew sell himself to you? Why, why? Because they didn't have bankruptcy laws back then. And, and if you had a creditor and you could not pay your debts to that creditor, you could not file for bankruptcy. You either, well... One option was debtor's prison, and you go to debtor's prison and you're done, and your family's done. But the Old Testament had a gracious statute whereby if you faced a creditor and you were on hard times and 
and you had debts that you could not pay, then you could, you could sell not your person but your labor for up to six years, no matter the debt, for up to six years. And then Deuteronomy 15, 12 says, in the seventh year, you must let him go free. You must, no matter what the debt was. See? And, and, and then the Old Testament had this gracious provision where, you know, when it was time to end your, your six years of service, then it said in verse 13, when you release him, do not send him away empty-handed. See, you don't want this person who's just crawled out of debt to just to get back in debt. So you, so you su- supply him liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. See, God is reminding the people what he did when he re- redeemed them from Egyptian slavery. That's why I give you this command today. So here this person has the dignity and keeps the dignity uh, and has the integrity and the character to be able to repay for up to six years. And then they live with that landowner and they, they, they are sheltered by that landowner and they eat with that landowner and they're able to keep their family intact and nobody is separated. And they all serve together and, and for no more than six years. But the provision said, if at the end of that six years, if your servant says to you, I don't want to leave you. I like this place. I love my master. I enjoy this. This is good. My family's good. I don't want to leave you because he loves you and your family and is well off with you. Then what happens? Look, here's what happens. Then the landlord of the master takes an awl and pushes it through his earlobe into the door and he will become your servant for life. Do the same for your maidservant, you see. And let me tell you, in the ancient world, to see a servant with a pierced ear was a symbol of status. Oh, they love their master. They've been delivered from something awful and terrible, and they've been redeemed, and they're brought into a, an estate. They're brought into a a family where they're loved and where they have purpose and meaning and dignity and a future, not only for them, but their family. Wow, it's status, you see. It's status. That's the lens through which Jesus tells this parable. So you can imagine then how silly it sounds when we understand the parable through that. We understand how silly it would sound for the servant to all of a sudden get demanding. <laughs> right? Because they've been delivered from so much. That's why Jesus says in verse 10, when you've done everything you were told to do, you should say, what does it say? We are unworthy servants. And it's very important for us to understand what that means. It does not mean, unworthy does not mean pond scum. It doesn't. It means this. Nothing I do can ever repay what it costs God to purchase me. Nothing, nothing. That's what the word unworthy means. Unprofitable, unworthy. I could never, I could never repay what it cost God to purchase me. And so what did it cost God to purchase me? Well, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, 
who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And God sent his one and only son who became the consummate indentured servant, indentured not for his debt but for my debt, my debt of disobedience against a holy God. And Jesus said, I will pay. And he did so, not for six years, but with his life on a Roman cross. His hands and his feet and his side were pierced so that my ear could be pierced, so that I could be a part of God's family, God's estate. That's why the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you see what that says? And so we have a master who loves us so much. And, and we've been redeemed out of a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Because you may be a liberty-loving American, but I can guarantee you today, sitting in this room right now, everybody is a slave. Everybody. You may be a slave to your past. You may be a slave to alcohol. You may be a slave to drugs. You may be a slave to your own significance. You say, well, no, I'm not anybody's slave. I'm independent. We are a slave to your independence. Everybody is a slave. Everybody is a slave. You may be a slave to beauty. You may be a slave to your profession. You may be a slave to education. And you serve and you serve and you serve that master. And, and what are you finding about that master? You're finding that if you, that if you fail that master, then... If it's anybody other than Jesus, then, then you are crushed with guilt. But if you attain that master, it's like, oh, I didn't fulfill like I thought it would. But Jesus is the only master where if you fail him, he will forgive you. If you attain him, he will satisfy you. So Christianity is not the liberation of slavery. Christianity is the proclamation of a better master. And someone reminded me out in the foyer last service. They said, really, you know, it's not like, okay, you know, this product is better than this product, so try to buy this product. It's like, no, this product is, this, this other product is poison. It'll kill you. Jesus isn't just the better master he's the only master he is the master and that's why it makes sense to do what he says when he says it and however long he says it with no strings attached and furthermore furthermore jesus tells us in another parable oh this is a great this is a one verse parable it's in luke chapter 12 verse 37 he says it will be good for those servants that's you and me whose master, that's Jesus, finds them watching when he comes. Remember, he's coming. We talked about that in the book of Revelation. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. He will dress himself to serve. We'll have them, that's us, recline at the table and will come and wait on them. Now, you're not going to find another master in the universe who will do that. 
other than Jesus. That's why he wants us to do whatever he says, whenever he says it, for however long he says it, with no strings attached. John Newton put it this way, our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, are joined to part no more. Our pleasure, when you see the beauty of Christ and the splendor of his face and the majesty of his character, when you, when you stand face to face before Jesus, then there is no difference between pleasure and duty. They are one and the same forever married, joined to part no more. Jesus, he's the best master you're ever going to find. So what does it look like? What, what, what does it look like when servants just actually obey Jesus? Well, look at the parable. Verse 10 says, when you have done everything you were told to do, everything. I find it interesting. Well, not interesting. I find it helpful that following this parable, we have the account of the 10 who were healed of leprosy. It's in verses 11 and following. You see that? Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He travels along the border between Samaria and Galilee. He's going into a village. 10 lepers went out to meet him. 10 lepers. Now remember, they were social outcasts. Luke says they stood at a distance because they weren't allowed to mingle with the crowd. They were you know, contagious. There was no cure. So they had to stand off. And so they're shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us. And the Bible doesn't say that Jesus went up and touched them and healed them. No, no, what does it say? From a distance, Jesus said, well, uh, okay, go show yourself to the priests. That's it. That's it. But they went. See, they'd already been to the priests because it was the priest that had declared them unclean. So it's just like saying, someone said that's like saying to a blind man, catch the ball. <laughs> but they went, they went. And it says, as they went, they were cleansed. Do, when you've done everything, listen. If you obey Christ only when you agree with Christ, you have not obeyed Christ. If Jesus says to you something on Friday, and then you say, well, let me think that over. Since it's Labor Day, I'll take Labor Day too. And then you say, well, you know what? Jesus said it. That makes sense to me too. Okay, I'll do it. You have not obeyed. You've just agreed. Jesus calls for obedience. What he says, when he says it, for however long he says it. <laughs> well, now we get to those verses in front of the parable. It, it is no coincidence that verses 3 and 4 precede this parable. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times a day, seven times, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, you forgive him. And how do the apostles respond? Oh, Lord, increase our faith. We don't have enough faith to do what you're asking us to do. And Jesus says, oh, yes, you do. Oh, yes, you do. Oh, yes, you do. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, and you do, you can say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. You have what it takes to be a forgiver if you trust me. 
It's just an act of the will now. Are you going to do it or not? Hmm. Well, we're getting personal, aren't we? I'm so proud of my parents. Um, three weeks ago, I was in Tulsa and had not been to Tulsa in two years and got to see my family. All of my family's in Tulsa, and here I am. And um, so I went to see them, and the highlight of my trip was a lunch that I had with my mom and my dad and me. It's just the three of us. Just the three of us in Las Cabas Mexican restaurant in Jenks, Oklahoma. Just the three of us. And um, what's significant about that is that 20 years ago, my parents divorced. And uh, we, had, we, had, we had lunch together. And my father remarried. Um, and his wife was going to join us. My stepmom was going to join us. And so it would have been all four of us. And she could not make it. But it wasn't, it wasn't because there was a statement, you know. It was just because the scheduling didn't work out. So it was my mom and my dad and me and... I know it's been over 20 years since it's just been mom and dad and me, okay? Just the three of us, all right? I know it's been over 20 years. And it was just a sweet luncheon. It was just a sweet luncheon. And I thought, thank you for this taste of grace. Thank you, Lord, for this taste of grace. And, and then after lunch, my parents said, son, we want to take you to a new grocery store. I said, okay, um, where are we going? Reesers. Reesers Superstore in Jenks, Oklahoma. And it just opened up, and with my apologies to Jerry's and County Market, this was like a schnooks on steroids. I mean, this is like, <laughs> you know, it's pretty fancy for Jinx. I'm telling you that right now. And so, so I said, okay, let's go. So, so we, we went into Reesers, and there I was, uh, uh, with my parents, each of whom had one of those electric motor scooters. And that was a picture. I mean, wow. <laughs> we got a spin out on aisle six. Somebody wiped out the strawberries again. Come on. Anyway, what a thought. I wish I had a camera, <laughs> you know. Oh, I thought that. God, thank you. What, what a moment of grace that is. And, 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 and how extraordinary of my parents to be this way. To which Jesus says through this parable, no, it's not. No, it's not. They've just done their duty. As you are to do your duty. See, we're unworthy servants. We're There's nothing we can do to ever repay what it costs God to purchase us. So, there's no obligating Jesus. You, let's get that now. We're going to be going out to this weekend of service here on October 17th and 18th. And, 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 and it's going to be an event that has just, it's, we've been building toward this, you know. I mean, there's been over 500 backpacks given to Family Resource Day. And I got a, a wonderful thank you letter from Irvin Williams from Restoration Urban Ministries thanking this church family for their generosity to the ministry there this summer. And, and then on top of that, we've got the weekend coming. And, and if there's ever this temptation to think, wow, wow, is, you know, how, how, how extraordinary. Jesus says, no, it's not. 
You're just doing what I expect you to do. And you need to understand that. Or maybe you've been in ministry 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and for some reason you're just kind of, you're just thinking that you've been overlooked. You've been overlooked. And Jesus says, you know, in the wake of eternity, 20 years isn't very long at all. (laughs) You haven't served that long. Not in the wake of eternity. (laughs) No, no, no. Uh -uh. Get your head on straight. Fly that plane. Keep the nose up. Keep the wings level. Get it right to the right speed. You do your duty. You do your duty. Can I ask you to do that, church family? Can I ask, can we do that? Can we be a church family that says, Lord, you don't owe, you don't owe us anything. You don't owe us a thing. You didn't have to rescue us. You're not obligated. You don't pay bills. We do. And then we couldn't even afford our bills. That's why we let Jesus do it. So all we're doing is saying thank you with our lives. In the wake of a consumer culture where an economy has been run on 70% consumer spending, can we just shed all that and say, Lord, we're your servants. We're here for you. This is not about us. We want to make much of Jesus with our lives, with our hearts, and with everything in us. Can we do that? And will we say, and let us say, and we shall say, we will not seek thanks. We will give thanks. Amen. Heavenly Father, you are so good. And you have spent so much to bring us to you. We love you. We love you. How can we repay what it costs you to purchase us? We can't. We just want to live on your estate with pierced ears forever. Thank you that this is possible through Jesus, the servant Savior.